Since 1971, Beautio Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello, it's the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am Nate Swick. Welcome to you all. A special hello to those of you who stopped by the ABA booth at the Cape May Fall Festival this past weekend. We had a strong ABA contingent there, helped along by the fact that our headquarters is not far away over in northern Delaware. Cape May is sort of our backyard. I, I was not there, but I was told that several of you talked to Kelly or whomever else at the booth and said that you knew about the ABA from this podcast. Thanks for that. That is actually one of the reasons why this podcast exists. It's an outreach tool for the organization. Nice to know that it's working there. And speaking of ABA outreach, well, you get a bit of that this week. We have new colleagues here at the American Birding Association working the extremely front-facing positions of events coordinator and young birder programs coordinator. If you were in Cape May last weekend, you might have seen them too. That's Katinka Doman in the first role and Laura Garrard in the second. Well, they joined me to talk a little about their roles at the ABA and in the wider birding world, as you might expect. They have interesting things to say about nature tourism, about young birders and our role in supporting them. Katinka on the first and Laura on the second, obviously. If you want to switch it up and want to find out what they think about the, the other issue, yeah, you'll have to find them and ask them yourselves maybe next year. So that's coming up. I talk with Katinka, I talk with Laura, all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the middle of October 2021. Passerine migration is beginning to wind down, at least in the far northern reaches of the ABA area. Birders are heading out of Alaska as the winter starts to show signs of beginning in earnest. But birders in far northern Utkiakvik, there to witness the great ivory gull migration, Turned up a beautiful Siberian ruby throat this week. Even more unusual as even in Alaska, that species of East Asian vagrant is primarily known as a spring migrant. One first record this week in Vermont, which has seen a nice run of rare birds lately. A Bell's Vireo in Woodstock is not completely unexpected as a first, given the fact that there have been quite a few records over the years from Massachusetts and upstate New York, relatively nearby. But records have really dried up in the eastern third of the ABA area, though they are still quite common in the central and western parts of the continent. Those are the highlights in the rare bird world this week. If you want the entire roundout, please check out the Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org slash rba. If that isn't enough to get you through the week, join the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. Kantika Doman is our brand new ABA events coordinator. She's been on the job for a few months now and is already setting up a very exciting schedule for the next year or two. Katinka, how are you? It's it's nice to chat in a context that is not a, a, an official ABA meeting. Hi, Nate. Yeah, um, nice chatting to you too. Um, I'm good. I'm really happy um, with the way things have been going for the past few months. It's been super exciting. It's been 
very busy and yeah. <laughs> at times also relatively stressful. Um, but on the whole, no, I'm I'm super excited. I'm really happy. I'm getting so much support and it's actually for me very refreshing. It's very new for me to work like with a big team That's like right. we have at AVA. I'm used to just being with one other colleague or even <laughs> on my own. So yeah, I'm really loving it. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you have such an interesting path to the ABA, Belgium by way of Honduras. Mm-hmm. Where did your birding journey start, and and how did you turn that into a career in the nature tourism? So field? my birding journey in itself started not that long ago, really. I mean, I've always been a little bit of a nomad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to travel a lot already with my family, with my parents. So the traveling has always been there. And the interest for general nature too, we did a lot of hiking and trekking and always went to the mountains or, you know, someplace remote, preferably. Mm-hmm. Um, but the birding itself only started when I moved to Honduras, or rather when I first went to Central America, which is about eight years ago, mm-hmm. something like that by now. At that point, I was thinking that I needed some change in my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was at the time working as a conference interpreter uh-huh. at the European Union. But you know how this goes. Like everyone's seen this movie, The Interpreter, right? Like were these people that sit all the way in the back of the room right. in those tiny little booths which has the window in front so we can see the speaker. So switching back and forth between however many languages exactly. you're responsible for. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's what we do. But then I've always really been sort of more of an outdoorsy person, I guess. And that started to just become so hard. Like I would go into work in the morning. It was still dark because I'm in Belgium. <laughs> and then I would get out of that booth in the afternoon and it'd be dark again. Yeah. And I would not have seen the sun all day. Yeah. And so basically what happened was I was just working super hard for I don't know how many months a year just so I could please get out in the remaining two or three months and just leave and hike and walk and swim in the sea or the river or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go on this backpacking trip to Central America and I landed in Panama and basically with one of my friends we hopped on a bus we had no plan whatsoever we just got going we got ourselves a guidebook and just went for it and we were talking to people even though our Spanish was really poor um, just randomly talking to people asking um, tips about where to go which were like interesting destinations we were hiking volcanoes and visiting all these super amazing places and talking to the most wonderful people in like these tiny little local communities (laughs) and so I thought whoa I feel so alive right now this is what I want to do I just need to find something where I can travel and experience nature and be outdoors all the time it's it's interesting that you say that like travel comes first and birding is almost secondary I think that a lot of birders like use birding as an excuse to travel. Right, right. I, I agree. Um, but so yeah, it, 
it's definitely like that for me. The traveling has always been there. And mm-hmm. on this trip, I met people that were birders themselves. And so they sort of introduced me to this. And I thought, whoa, okay, this is not what I expected birding to be <laughs> at all. Um, it was exciting and it gave me something to look at while I was hiking. And mm-hmm. obviously we're in Central America, right? Like lot, everything lot is in your yeah. face, super <laughs> yeah. colorful, big um, uh, and numerous. So yeah, it just, I don't know. I always expected it to be sort of like a really slow kind of activity. <laughs> and even though it can be that if you want it to, it can also be super exciting and you just go chasing all these amazing species and I really sort of got hooked on that pretty quickly (laughs) and pretty easily Um, on a trip to La Mosquitia which is this vast jungle super remote in Honduras and I got my first pair of binoculars after I got sort of over the first difficulties in just identifying even the most common species i really got like into paying attention to all the field marks and trying to describe them to the people that i was with in as Mm -hmm. much detail as i could possibly get um and yeah we found some really uncommon species and at some point i was describing this tiny black bowl of feathers somewhere in the understory and it only had a white throat sort of like a white triangle on the throat and everyone got so excited and I'm just the newbie (laughs) right I know nothing about nothing um and so we saw this um white roved mannequin Mm -hmm. and everyone was just way too excited like they were ready to go to get on the sat phone to figure out whether the species had been registered in this area (laughs) sometime before (laughs) and so that's when i realized oh yeah i really really love this mannequins are still my favorite family by the way um and yeah just the excitement of that like of going someplace and having some expectation but at the same time also not being certain of what mm-hmm. you will see there's always like this element of surprise yeah got totally hooked on that about 8 years ago um <laughs> and yeah that's where the big change in my <laughs> life started <laughs> yeah I mean, obviously, birding is such a wonderful way to experience a different place because I think it mm-hmm. like it. I, I mean, I love travel for cultural reasons and food and all those. Those are all great and, and wonderful, too. But there's just something about birding that it feels like you're you're seeing a real authentic part of the country when you're looking at its bird life or nature, things like that. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, it just brings you to areas that you couldn't even imagine before Mm -hmm. somehow and they're usually very unspoiled places just that connection to your surroundings also makes it really special for me um so yeah I, i i agree with that and the other thing that i like about it is that it's usually a very non invasive type of Mm -hmm. activity like it's a very respectful thing to do like you're you sort of have to be one with your surroundings and with 
the birds you're looking at and with that habitat and also with the people around you. Um, so yeah, that, that kind of respect and that kind of, I don't really know how to explain that very well or how to capture it in words. Um, but that feeling of everything being connected and everything being very respectful is also something that attracts me in mm -hmm. birding. And you notice that in the birding community, I've, I've always felt very welcomed by the entire community. I feel like I've made a lot of friends in a very short period of yeah. time all over the world. And even though we don't get to see each other very often, we always have like this subject that we can return to that this passion or hobby or whatever you want to call it that we have in common I feel like I've made some friendships there that are so strong I don't know there are so many things about birding that that attract me and it's obviously about the birds but it's also very much about everything around it yeah what is a really good birding event or tour look like to you? I think it sort of ties in with what I just got to say. For me, a good birding event is obviously an event where we see a lot of like <laughs> really <helps>. awesome species. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> that's obviously the starting point. That's mm -hmm. what we all get together for. We want to see certain birds um, of a certain area, some of certain specialties. Um, but Apart from that, I think that social interaction is also really important. Um, so for me, when I organize a tour or an event, just not only observing the birds, but also observing the people mm -hmm. um, <laughs> is very interesting. And I get so happy when I see people interacting, when I see how happy they are like you can you can tell when people are feeling good and comfortable and they're smiling and they're sort of getting out there like out of their bubble somehow and yeah it's just noticing like that joy on people's faces for me when I see that in all or at least the majority of, of participants mm -hmm. that makes it just completely successful um that's my cue like things are going well um so yeah i i enjoy seeing that sparkle in people's eyes i guess it's that and and at the same time also realizing that you're doing uh something that helps the community and that helps the environment um I try to also pay attention to that when I put together my my tours or my events. Um, make sure that when you visit a local community that you include them in the activity, that you make sure that they also get at least some of the economic benefit of it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's also something that is important to me and that has to be part of every tour or event that I organize. Yeah. Uh, sort of a lot of people look at the the big sort of expensive trips that lo lots of organizations do. The ABA does it, but there are nature tour companies and, and think that those might be sort of legitimately out of reach for a lot of people. 
Um, what do you what do you think about that? And do you have plans to bring something of sort of an ABA tour experience to those who might not be able to join the ABA in like Kenya or Antarctica or or Oaxaca or those sorts of places? Because it really is about community, right? And that's that's the sort of thing that doesn't necessarily need a place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's a very valid criticism. Mm-hmm. Those trips are not within reach for a lot of people. They would probably not be w- within reach for me <laughs> yeah. um, or for my family. So I absolutely understand that. On the one hand, of course, all the tours that we organize with ABA, you have to bear in mind that those are the funds that we then use yeah. to organize all our other projects and programs like the Young Birder programs, for mm-hmm. example. So we obviously need that kind of trips, but exactly, I do want to make birding a very inclusive activity that everyone can participate in. So I'm trying to work on a program that has different types of activities that are accessible to as many people as possible. So the idea at this point is to, on the one hand, have the big international and um, national tours, but at the same time also run a program where we basically bring the ABA and birds and birding to the people. So we will be organizing a number of weekends or short field trips all over the ABA area so that everyone can participate. These events will be super low cost. They'll just be field trips. So we will not be doing like the entire, we do the hotel and we do the bus Mm -hmm. and we do the all-inclusive package. We will be offering like a set of field trips where you can join and get a taste of all the different things that birding can really be. Because that's the other thing, like birding is so many things. It can be highly competitive or it can be super relaxed and more based on just sharing good times. Um, It can be big sits or it can be big days or it can be backyard birding. It can be so many things. And so I want to offer these different types of activities just sort of as a sampler i guess so yeah we will be organizing hopefully (laughs) at least one of these weekends every month and i said like we'll take them all over the us and canada so hopefully i will start with one somewhere up north maybe could be minnesota we'll have some in california we'll have some all over the place i'll make sure that they're like posted very regularly <laughs> on the website because yeah. that's like the newest part of the program. I think mm-hmm. like we've been doing other types of tours and events, but these weekends, those field trips are sort of like a new idea. So they're right now being developed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's the idea. Make sure that everyone can participate like at a super low cost and just see what it's all about, get a taste for it, and then hopefully get hooked just like I did. Yeah. It, it feels like that's a good opportunity to like touch base with some local communities too. Because they're, yeah. they're like little, you know, birding groups, local birding groups all over the place. And, uh, you know, using them to bring people in and, and mix it up with the APA seems like a really, really interesting Absolutely. idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Make it make it an outreach type mm-hmm. of program um, or event. 
I will very much look forward to work with all the local bird clubs or organizations, associations, whomever takes an interest in bird watching, because that's exactly what we what <laughs> we want to do, create this massive network between all of us. Um, and yeah, also those could be like an interesting opportunity, for example, for local guides or local kids or teenagers who want to get into bird guiding perhaps mm -hmm. like create this kind of opportunities for learning and sharing and gathering experience um that's also i think one of the elements that i would love to integrate in in that type of activity yeah do you have anything else sort of planned for the aba in the coming in the coming months yeah there's a whole lot of things in the pipeline <laughs> yeah, already. <laughs> so obviously we will be uh, visiting a number of the festivals that are mm -hmm. happening in person again, um, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be uh, at Cape May and we'll be going to the Rio Grande Birding Festival and we'll be um, also going to Space Coast in Florida in um, January, February. Um, other than that, our own events we are going to go ahead and have a big party in December because, uh, as you all know, like every year there is a bird of the year. So this year we're going to announce that with a bang and have like a bird of the year reveal yeah, event um, mid-December. And then the tours will start in January. We'll do a winter sparrows tour in Southeast Arizona. And in February, we're going to Kenya. In April, we're going to Oaxaca, Mexico. In June, there's the Adult Birder Camp in West Virginia, which has been a massive success. So we're repeating that. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be there for that one. Woohoo! And my mother-in-law, <laughs> actually. <laughs> awesome. So, yeah, so those are some of the things that are already on the schedule and that um, can already be found on the website. Many more things will be added to that. Um, it's going to be a pretty well-filled program. Um, and I'm just introducing new tours, new events, new destinations all the time. So just stay tuned because there's a lot more to come. Yeah, I know we're all really looking forward to getting back together in person uh, as the pandemic continues to wane, fingers crossed. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, very exciting. Anyway, um, thank you so much, Katinka. Uh, we'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for everything that you've talked about. And, and um, we'll, we'll keep promoting all the stuff that you've got, all the exciting things that you've got planned. We're, we're all very excited as well. Thanks so much. Excellent. Thank you. Welcome, Laura Garrard, the ABA's new Young Birder Programs Coordinator, and I do have to say the second Garrard to be on the American Birding Podcast. Your husband, Jason, was on our first live show at the Biggest Week a few years ago. Uh, eventually, we'll get to all of you. So how are you? How have your first few months at ABA been? They have been fantastic. It's super exciting to be part of this team. Yeah, so you know, you've been active on the, the young naturalist front for a long time. Um, how did you find yourself in this particular niche? In the birding community? Quite honestly, by listening, uh, listening to the needs of the young naturalists and young birders and essentially facilitating the opportunities. You know, they come to us with their ideas and, you know, their wants for what they think would be an exciting opportunity. Uh, and I've 
just feel so privileged to be able to help facilitate those opportunities and make their you know their ideas come into fruition. Yeah. Do you find that the birding community is generally really desirous to to help young birders? I think a lot of us like see ourselves in young birders to some extent. Like we know what it's like to be a young birder, to be a little isolated, to be, you know, in a community with so many other adults. And suddenly you're kind of looked at as an equal, but not an equal. It's kind of a weird thing. Do you find it kind of difficult to chart that ship through those kind of those waters? I think that the adult birders are so welcoming to the young birders and really enthusiastic about opportunities for helping to nurture their interests. Um, Because what's really cool about, you know, the niche of young birding and young birders is that they have that passion for, Mm -hmm. for birds and birding, but they convey it through so many different mediums, you know, whether it's photography or illustration or, you know, that, that drive to do a big year, there's so many differences that, you know, but everybody comes together under that umbrella of birds and birding. Mm -hmm. And the the community is just incredible for helping to, you know, foster that, um, support the young birders and help make sure that their experiences are enriching. And I think a common theme is that some, you know, adult young birders, you know, they may have found that they didn't have that Mm-hmm. mentor or that guide when they were younger. So it's an extra like, drive to, um, you know, to help be supportive now. Yeah, it is really interesting. You know, it is easier, I think, to become like a skilled birder or make a name for yourself in the birding community without sort of that mentoring program now, just because there's so much stuff online. There's so much uh, information available that, you know, you can totally wash yourself in it if you if you want to like, really dig in. But it, that mentoring process, that mentoring relationship is such an important thing to kind of, you know, just, just as a community building process as much as anything. Absolutely. It's how we strengthen and build the birding community. And, you know, I always talk to young birders and, and the adult mentors too about, you know, who was their mentor mm-hmm. and how important that mentor has been in, in their life. And what's really incredible to see is that as the Young Birders grow up through programs like the ABA Young Birder programs, and then they get to switch from that role of being, you know, having the mentor to being the mentor. Yeah. And that is what is really incredible. Yeah. So what, what, what do you find most interesting about working with, with Young Birders or Birders who are sort of, yeah, I don't want to say novice because some Young Birders are actually really, really skilled. What, what do you find interesting about working with them at whatever stage they are on their birding journey, their birding career? It's really fun to be, you know, on the journey with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like some of the young birders that I knew when they were, you know, 10 or 16, yeah. and now they are adults that are thriving in the field. Uh, and that in and of itself is just really incredible that they took their passion. And hopefully it was because of the support of the community and the opportunities that were presented to them. And then we're able to turn that into, you know, a career that they are passionate about and excited about. And it's not work, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's their life and their, and their career. 
Um, and as you said, the the skill level of these young birders, you know, whether it's something that grows, you know, as they're part of the programs or, you know, if I'm meeting them and, um, you know, for the first time, it's tremendous, the skills and talents that are out there. And it it's exciting for me to be, you know, around them and with them, whether we're out in the field and I can learn from them, you know, what you know, why they love the way a certain bird looks or sounds or their story about how they got, you know, into birding or how birds help them cope through a difficult time. Um, and then also, um, you know, being there for them to share, whether it's their artwork or um, they're giving a presentation and you get to be invited to that presentation. And the skill level it just blows me away. It's, it's tremendous. Yeah. One of the things that I've always found really interesting about the birding community and just birding in general are the, you know, there's so many different ways that it can manifest in your life. Um, and, you know, young birders who are just getting started um, in their own lives can kind of see this whole landscape laid out in front of them. You know, you could go into academia and do research. And so many young birders from our programs have done that. You could go into the tourism industry and guiding. And a lot of them have done that. You could even just be, you know, go into something completely unrelated to birding and just stay like a hobby birder for the rest of your life. It's just, there's just so many different ways that birding can be a meaningful part of your life. And it must be really exciting to see people sort of feeling out those different ways and, and learning which one is best for them. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, as you said, the, the path is, can be so varied and so different and you can incorporate it into your work and your career. But I think that for, you know, us lifelong birders, no matter what, it's something that always brings us joy. It brings mm. us, you know, peace and comfort. It's inspiring, um, you know, and exciting, and uh, you know, not only the birds, but the the community as well. You know, just all really is uplifting. Yeah, yeah. When I was a, a young birder, uh, I was like one of two in my state when I started, and now there are like dozens, if not hundreds, of engaged, active, and and skilled young birders in our community. Um, and, and that's just like the growth has been super amazing to me, and it, that's only been you know, 30 years since I was in that position. And now just looking back and seeing where it is, where we are now, um, do you see it continuing to grow? And in what way do you see sort of the young birder process evolving? I definitely think that we're just going to continue to see it grow more and more, um, you know, with the past couple of years that we've had with, uh, you know, the pandemic, I think that, a lot of youth kind of returned to the wild, if you will, and um, took the time or had the time to observe and spend time in nature, um, whether it's, you know, backyard bird feeding or, you know, taking, you know, long walks and connecting with nature that way. So I think that we're going to, you know, come out of this time with, you know, a a reinvigorated interest in birding and nature. And what's wonderful is that we have these programs and these platforms in place that are open and inviting so that the, you know, these newer naturalists and young birders can be engaged with 
those that are already part of the of the programs. And I think that um, the young birder community is thriving because so many folks, adults, are seeing the importance in helping to foster the young birder community. So, you know, for that reason too, I, I think that it's just going to continue to, you know, grow and, and be stronger, not only with the programs that we can provide, but scholarships. So making sure that these programs are available to, you know, wider audience and, um, you know, the support from organizations and, and companies that just help uh, these programs grow. What is most helpful for those of us in the birding community to do for young birders? To to treat them as equals. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, I've seen um, in my career as an educator where sometimes we classify, you know, the young birders and the uh, adult birders and maybe, you know, attach a skill level to that. You know, I can say the young birders that I um, have been you know on trips with or out in the field with I'm learning from them they <laughs> their skill level has you know far exceeded mine uh, and that's what's really that's one of my favorite the, the things that brings me the most the most joy um, but because there's a gap sometimes in the opportunities where mm. even between like young birders and adults and you have that, you know, the teens to the young adult um, age. So I would just say embracing birders of all ages and stopping to have conversations and um, getting to know each other. Um, Because it's it's not only important to share what you know, but to listen and to ask questions. So if we can be role models in that way of listening and asking questions, um, then we are really helping to set up this upcoming generation to be really attentive listeners, but also, you know, those skills that uh, foster, you know, leadership and, um, and strong community values as well. Now, one of the things that um, our, our colleague, Ted Floyd, uh, editor of Birding Magazine, has said that has stuck with me because he, he's done a, a ton of work trying to encourage you know, young birder voices in the magazine, in the birding magazine, which is, you know, the flagship publication of the ABA. And and he said, you know, there's no such thing as young birder content. It's just birder content. Like if it's good, it's good for everybody. And there's no reason to like say that this stuff is just for young birders because, you know, we've had stuff published in, in birding magazine this year that has been from teenage birders. And I've read it and I'm like, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't know, you'd be surprised. If it's good stuff, it's good stuff, regardless of what age you are when you do it, when you're producing it. Absolutely. You know, it's in a sense, removing the label, um, yeah. you know, because yeah. like Ted said, it's, if it's good, it's, it's good. And, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, really strikes me about Ted is how much time and energy he gives to the young birder community mm-hmm. and, and the importance of that. Um, because, you know, some of these aspiring writers, you know, and photographers, they look up to the professionals in mm-hmm. the field. So having the opportunity to, you know, to talk with Ted and have him um, include their you know, information in the magazine or provide feedback and encouragement, um, it, it's so important. And that's what we really need to do more of. 
No, I, I totally agree. And, and it's one of the things that I love about the birding community too. It's like, I, I, I can't go play a pickup basketball game with uh, Kevin Durant, but I can, like I can bird with Ken Kaufman or David Sibley or Julie Zikafus or Ted Floyd. They're, they're totally there and accessible. And that's one of the cool things about birding, I think. Yeah, for sure. So what's, what's coming on in uh, Young Birder program news for the ABA? What have you been working on? What can we look forward to in the, in the coming year? Oh, I think it's going to be a really exciting year for the ABA Young Birder programs. We recently opened the registration for the 2022 Young Birder of the Year Mentoring Program, which is designed for youth ages 10 to 18. And there are five modules that really help to highlight the interests and skills of the young birders, Uh, you know, going back to that common theme of birding, but you can express your passion um, through the field notebook, um, through conservation and community leadership, illustration, writing, photography. And my favorite part is that we are pairing the participants with mentors who are accomplished in the field. So, not only do they have the you know, safe space to ask questions and you know, seek um, advice on how to hone their skills, um, but then they also get you know, professional feedback from the mentors as well so that they can continue to, you know, to grow. And you know, there is the title of Young Birder of the Year, but no matter, no matter what, every participant in this program is so accomplished and is such a big achievement to complete, mm-hmm. you know, one, if not, you know, some, you know, complete five of these modules. So that's, that's super exciting. And registration is open until November 30th. So we hope that, you know, whether you want to just try a module or compete for that title, um, that you'll, um, that you'll join us for that program this year. And we are also looking to um, open the registration for the ABA Young Birder camps this fall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, camps are back. And camps are, what a great experience. You you know, it's life-changing. And I have birding friends that met when they were 10 or 13 at one of um, the Young Birder camps. And, you know, now we're a little bit older, <laughs> um, but they're still, you know, great friends. They'll, you know, rejoin each other to compete for like the World Series of Birding. Um, so it's, it's, those are truly life-changing experiences. Yeah, I'm always amazed by um, the leaders in our community who are my age, who, who were alumni of those camps, uh, be that the ABA ones or the Vent ones or, or the Audubon ones or whatever, like those, those really... Are, are really important to let young birders know that they're not alone in perhaps their interests because I do, I do know they're, I mean, it's less so than it is now because of social media and all the various ways that people can co- keep in contact with each other. But, you know, it's, it's really meaningful to know that there's a lot of people out there who care about birds uh, like you do. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, you know, what you're saying, Nate, I identify with that because, so many young birders will voice that, you know, in their school or in mm-hmm. their town, yeah. um, there's nobody else that has the same interests as yeah. them. So it's really hard sometimes to even, you know, express it, you know, like being a, you know, 
a secret burner. Um, and it should really, it should be much more, you know, celebrated. So as we're seeing the growth in the young birder community, it's really important for us to pay attention to the fact that um, you know, young birders can be can feel isolated, and so even the more reason to uh, support them, um, you know, continue to provide these um, programs and and have conversations with young birders when you see them. For sure. Well, um, thank you so much, Laura. Um, it's great talking to thank you. I'm you. sure people who are interested in uh, in participating in the Young Birder Year program or get more information about the ABA's Young Birder Camps can can head to our website and get that information. And, and yeah, well, welcome to the ABA. We're really excited to have you and to see all the cool stuff that's going to happen because of the work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much. American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. Support this podcast and all of our free resources for birders by supporting the ABA with your membership. You know what you get? You get magazines, you get discounts, you get the knowledge that you are helping to build a better birding community here in the ABA area and around the world. Get information at aba.org slash join. I have some shout outs to make this week to Mark, Lori, and Ezra Howlett of Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Aaron Thomas of Salt Lake City, Utah, Duke Tufty and Merrill Mayano of Bend, Oregon, Robert Crawford of Cambridge, Ontario, Aaron Walsh of Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Nathan Snell of Nashville, Tennessee, all of whom recently joined the American Birding Association and noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you all so much for showing your support in a way that helps the organization. I really appreciate it. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. You know, a fear of heights is the only thing that's preventing him from participating in the Flung Birder of the Year competition, which hosts both zipline and human cannonball modules. Technical production is by John Lowry, who notes that the less said about the Strung Birder of the Year program, the better, as it's probably all a hoax anyway. Additional help comes from David Hartley and Greg Neese, who had a dust-up during the first and only Tongue Birder of the Year competition about who could better imitate a screech owl. And David lives in California, boycotted the championship round because they, we didn't specify which screech owl. You think we would have thought of that, but you can find us on ABA.org on Facebook and Twitter as American Birding Association or ABA. I have this idea for a sprung birder of the year program, but it's entirely dependent on the success of the Baby Got Blackpool Warbler initiative. Questions, comments can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Till next week. <laughs>